Yes. Omega Y's in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make Any it. Any questions I ask myself when I What's up, table fam? How are we feeling? Yeah, man, I've missed, like, so I've been here the last uh, couple weeks kind of hanging out, but I've just missed talking with you, and I'm excited that I get to do this uh, today, and some of you are like, who are you? Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Orlando, um, and I'm part of the leadership team here at the table, and if you've been hanging out with us, you know this, that we've been in a series called In My Feels, and in this series, what we've been trying to do is to process our feelings and our emotions the way of Jesus, Right? So we know that all of us, life happens, and 2020 was a year, and 2021 really hasn't been that different for some of us, and that we have a lot of feelings and emotions with that. So, how do we process that the way that Jesus would process? And in this series, this has been our, been our big idea uh, throughout the whole series has been this. You see it on your screen here. Healthy Christians lean into their feelings. Healthy Christians lean into their feelings, right? So we've covered lots of different feelings. We've covered anxiety. We've covered fear. We've covered anger. And I've been talking with some of you throughout the series, and you're like, hey, are we going to cover this emotion or this emotion or this emotion over here? And the answer has been yes, yes, no, yes, right? Uh, but I think some of, some of the emotions that you've been proposing have actually been amazing. So what we've kind of said is, hey, that's amazing. We're actually not able to cover all of the emotions this time. But man, have you guys been enjoying this? Have you guys been enjoying the series? It, like we, just as a staff team, we're like, man, we just think this has been especially helpful for us. So what we're going to do is we'll just run it back next time. I don't know what next time is, but if there's a series, if there's a feeling that you're curious about that we weren't able to cover this time, um, hopefully we'll get it next time. Um, but today, we're talking about sadness. Oof. I know. You're like, woo, yeah! It says nobody, right? Today we're talking about sadness. And before I go any further, I want to give a huge shout out to Thomas Gurian. Um, you guys familiar? Let's give a, where's Tom? Uh, and the reason we're giving a shout out to Thomas um, is because um, he helped a lot of co-writing a lot with me for this specific message. Um, so consider us like Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Like I'm going to be spitting bars, but you got to know who the master producer is, all right? Uh, <coughs> so to set up our time though, um, growing up, here's what I wanted. So I grew up in Texas. A lot of you guys know this. Um, I grew up in Texas. Oh, we got one. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Texas people are a little more proud. Um, so growing up, here's what I wanted. I wanted amazing friends, and I wanted an amazing marriage, right? And I wanted amazing money. Anybody else? Right? And I wanted to do all of that in an amazing city. So I don't know why, but so I grew up in Texas, I grew up in the Houston area. So I don't know why, but for whatever reason, Dallas, Dallas is about five hours away from Houston, but Dallas was just the city that I wanted to be in. Even like as a middle schooler or high schooler, I got to visit a few times and I said, man, if I could just like live in Dallas, my life will be perfect, right? So eventually, uh, kind of by coincidence and kind of a minor miracle, after college, I actually do end up in Dallas. And when I start, I am so excited to start my Dallas life. I'm like, okay, here it is. Here's the perfect version of my life here in Dallas. Okay, flash forward five years later, I'm 27, and I'm like, okay, I'm still trying to hold on to perfect for dear life. Some of you know what that feels like. And I go on a trip. And when I come back from that trip away from Dallas, I start realizing the realities of my life. 
So what do I mean by that? I mean um, I, some of the ideal is different than the real of what I'm experiencing because some really amazing things happened in Dallas, some really incredible things. But at the same time, I just have to be honest and that not everything was amazing, right? Like my job wasn't what I thought it would be. And my relationships weren't what I thought they would be, right? And financially, I was not where I thought I would be. And what happened is it started me processing what I had lost. See, because what I had lost was this perfect Dallas that I was holding on to. And going away on this trip and then coming back helped me realize that perfect never actually existed. And what happened is I can start facing the reality of my life and letting go um, of this loss of what perfect Dallas was going to be. And here's what happened when I come back from this trip. Here's what happened. I start realizing the real Dallas. Not perfect, ideal Dallas, but real Dallas. I start doing this. You know, dragging your feet a little bit. Shoulders humped over, looking down. I, my coworkers, you know, because I was in the office the next week, my coworkers were saying, Isaac, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. And but just like feeling real mopey, but not really understanding why or what I was feeling. And years, kind of plainly, as we're talking about now, I was sad. <laughs> I had no idea that I was sad at the time, but looking back now, I was sad, right? And I was sad because I was starting to process this loss in, in my life right? Because perfect Dallas never really existed, but perfect Dallas is what I put my hope in. And whenever I realized that my hope in perfect Dallas, whenever that shifted and ideal Dallas became real Dallas, um, that's whenever I started, my foundation started getting a lot more uh, rocky. And here's this on the screen here, is that the reason we get sad is because we lost something. That's why we get sad. For a lot of us, we get sad because we lost something, right? And this may be you. May, you may actually be in, if you're 24, 25, or 26, um, you may be in what's called the quarter-life crisis. So, here, so you're either, if you're younger than that and you're in college, just wait. Um, you may currently be in or you're just coming out of a quarter-life crisis. So what's a quarter-life crisis? A quarter-life crisis is kind of what I just described. It's where the, you don't have the job you thought you would have, you don't have the relationship you thought you would have, you don't have the money you thought you would have, and all of that just seems to hit all together, all at the same time, to where, it's funny, when I meet with you, uh, I can tell, <laughs> that's one of my, if, if you're 25, 20, 24, 25, 26, that's one of my first two questions where I'm like, I think you're going through a quarter-life crisis. And you're like, oh, and your eyes get real big, right? Because it's so real. And because it's stripping away this ideal and we lost the, what we, this perfect version of our life. And that makes us sad. So if you don't know why you're sad, it's not really the message, but if you don't know why you're sad, that may be why you're sad. Um, it's because you're going through a quarter-life crisis. But for, for others, for other of us in the room, um, it may be much more specific. Right? October 27th, 2020. Some of you guys know that date very well. That's the day that Disney announced that they were laying off a bunch of cast members, which affected so many of us in this room. And for some of us, I mean, we are months later, and we are still recovering and still feeling that loss from the job that we had that we no longer have anymore. Right? Or for some of us, it's dating. Right? Your dating relationship ended. This thing that was good, that you liked, it ended, right? So I'm married now. I haven't always been married, and my wife is not the first person I dated. So what happened? Here's what I know. Breakups are terrible, absolutely terrible. 
And it's this loss of this relationship that we longed for, that we put our hope in, that we started making plans for, and we lost it. And it makes us sad. Or, for some, it's death. Death of a family member, death of a loved one, death of a friend, death of this person that we truly cared for. And it makes us really sad. Why? Because we love them, we care for them, and we wish that we long for the days where they could still be here. Right? We get sad because we lost something or someone. So how do we process? How do we process sadness? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 13. Um, it'll be on your screens here as well. We're going to be in Psalm 13, um, where we're going to look at this person, this guy named David, um, who had to process some loss um, in his life. So some of you may know this. So David, the author of the psalm, um, so he was actually at this time, he's probably by himself, um, possibly in a cave with no friends or no family running for his life. Okay, why? Well, um, you look at David's life, and David was a shepherd boy, and then he was then, you remember, so you, even if you grew up in church, you did not, you know, this story of David versus Goliath. So this is that David. This is the David versus Goliath David. So David was this battle warrior where he slayed this giant Goliath. And all the Israelites went, yeah, this guy's amazing. Woo! Like, and then God says, and you're going to be the next king of Israel. And David's like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool, but I just got to wait for the current king to kind of pass on the torch. But um, I'm not recommending you watch Game of Thrones. Um, not even, like, yes, for more reasons, but also I just heard season seven is terrible. But, but so this is not like some, like, from what I've heard, Game of Thrones stuff where, like, there's kind of like a battle, like, for the seat, kind of, except David's not fighting, but Saul is fighting for the seat. So he puts a hit on David, and David is escaping for his life in the wilderness, um, trying not to die and be murdered by Saul. So here, he, here David is, possibly in a cave, in the, uh, in the Israeli wilderness, right, um, where he writes this. He writes this, Psalm 13. Let's read. God, you're so amazing. I love you so much. Thank you for uh, helping me escape from my life, from this king that's trying to murder me. Thank you for the season of my life, man. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy. No, anybody? <laughs> no. <laughs> the opposite, right? What does he write? He writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, how long, how long, how long? Right? David believes in God, right? David knows that God exists, and David knows that God is so great, and God could prevent things, but for whatever reason, God is just allowing this thing to happen, and David's like, man, God, have you forgotten me? Like, God, what, what's going on here? Like, why have you forgotten me? David, but, again, David believes in God. D David knows God didn't actually forget him. He knows this, right? He knows this. But, man, this is what he's feeling. And this is what I love about David. David is so real, and David is so raw with what he's feeling. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to pretend. Some of us, we look at this, and we're like, I would never dare talk to God like that. Oof, like, I say one word of that, they're lightning bolt immediately, right? They're right there in my room. Nope. What does David do? David is so honest with how he's feeling, right? He acknowledges his real feelings. We've, we've said this, we've said feelings are real, but they're not reliable. David right here is acknowledging those real feelings. He's saying, God, this is what I'm feeling, 
he knows it's not reliable, which we'll read a little later, but man, these feelings are so real. And that we may be asking, how long, oh Lord, how long am I going to be single? How long, oh Lord? You know, how long am I going to have to keep waiting for a job? How long am I going to have to keep waiting for this family stuff that I'm dealing with? How long am I going to keep feeling this insecurity that I feel? God, how long am I going to have to keep processing this unhealthy relationship? God, how long, how long, how long, how long am I going to keep losing things? How long am I going to keep being discouraged? How long am I going to keep not having any life direction? Can somebody just, God, can you, can you just come in and show me what to do? How long am I just going to keep spiraling and not knowing what to do? Lord, how long, how long, how long? Anybody, anybody? Just me? Just me. Okay, great. Just cool. Four people. Four people. Great. Hey, well, you four, welcome. The rest of you, I'm glad you haven't figured out. (laughs) How long? And so David here, he actually says this. He says, uh, he uses this word, sorrow. Very interesting word. How long and have sorrow in my heart all the day. All right, so some of us use this word. We kind of, a lot of us know what it means. We don't really use it on the reg. Um, But here's what sorrow means. Sorrow means anguish in pain. Here's what David is feeling. David is feeling anguish in pain. So whenever we have sorrow, we actually have three options. When we're feeling anguish or feeling pain because we lost something, we actually have three options. Here's the first option, numb. We just numb ourselves. Push it down, shove it down, don't feel like, uh, conceal don't feel, right, from Frozen, like don't feel it, don't feel it, push it down, right? We create these ice castle thing. I, mean, I don't know why I kept going on this metaphor, <laughs> right? We just, just, we self-medicate for some of us, right? We're feeling, we're lonely in relationships and we're sad. No, 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 but I'm going to self-medicate here. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. I just don't want to feel it right now. I just want to shove it down so I don't feel what's actually going on. I want to numb this pain. I just want to seek pleasure right now. There's a guy in Dallas, I love this. He says this, look, if, if you're choosing numbness, look, you're welcome to keep choosing numbness if you want to, right? If you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to like what you got. If you're pursuing numbness, and historically when it comes to, when it comes to loss, um, avoiding pain is the way that you've processed that, hey, you're welcome to keep doing that. I just don't think that's the best way. But I want to provide some other options as well. Number two is despair. Some of us process loss and we just spiral in despair, right? We're spiraling and it's because we're hopeless. We have zero hope, right? We're confused. We're discouraged. We don't know this unknown in life. Like we just don't even know like how to process and we're just spiraling in despair, right? And it creates hopelessness in us or we can't even fathom. We just, we're just confused and we just don't even know. Spiral, spiral, spiral in despair. Here's the third option. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, there's only three. <laughs> and here's the third one, is grief. Grief, right? Grief, this is the hardest option. This is the most painful option. But I'm going to submit to you today, this is the best option. When you, to process loss, grief is the only way forward. So you may be wondering what grief is. Here's what grief is. Grief is the resolution process for loss. Grief is the pain that heals. Grief is painful. When we lose something, there is, we can numb ourselves, that could be an option. We could just spiral out in despair, that could be an option. Or we can do the hard thing, which is to face grief and voluntarily enter into grief. 
right? And grief is interesting because grief, to some extent, can be planned, right? So let's say a, a parent, um, they, they, their kid is born, and then they know the clock starts ticking. They got 18 years uh, before they send them off to college, right? Or Orlando. A lot of us, we just stay here, so maybe it'll be that. Um, but for some, you know, uh, you know, some planned, planned grief, right? Or, or uh, you choose to leave. You choose to leave a job. You choose to leave a city. You choose to leave that relationship. This grief can be planned. But even if you plan it, even if you're the instigator, even if you know what's coming, there's still grief. There's still loss to process. Now, that's maybe 10% of the room. Here's 90% of the room. It's unplanned. We get blindsided unexpected, this loss comes out of nowhere. We didn't see it coming. And for a lot of us, it just absolutely, absolutely wrecks us, right? Because we just, we don't even know what to do, and like, oh, this loss, I don't know what to do. But grief, either planned or unplanned, grief is the way forward when it comes to loss, right? And some of you are very confused um, because you've been here in Orlando and been hanging out at the table for a while, and, and you feel like you've been taking really healthy steps, right? Maybe you've been serving at the table as a table host. Maybe you've been part of a life group. Maybe you've part of residency or have finished residency even. You've just been part of what we have going on here. And to your credit, you've taken some really amazing steps. But then something happens in life, and then you just start spiraling. And you have no idea why. And you're like, wait, I thought I was taking really healthy steps forward. Why do I feel like I'm taking steps backwards? Why do I feel like I haven't grown at all? Well, what's possibly happened is that a, a very specific loss has tapped into some other unprocessed loss from a previous version of your life. So maybe some family stuff from back home that still needs to be processed, right? Or just maybe some relationship stuff that still needs to be processed. Right? So grief, however it comes... <laughs> Grief is the resolution process for loss, and grief is the pain that heals. So how does David process his grief? Well, he was very honest with God for what he was feeling, right? So we said that earlier. We said, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Let's keep reading. He says here in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Right? Anybody feel shaken a little bit when it comes to loss? But David is saying here, answer me, O Lord my God. He is requesting, God, look, I'm, are you, did you forget me? I'm right here. God, can you just give me something here? Can you answer me? God is so honest that he knows where the help comes from, and it's not him. He knows that he can't do it on himself. He knows that he needs an intervention from God, the Lord Almighty, to come in and help him. God, can you, can you just answer me, God? Can you come in here right now? I love this line right here where he says, can you light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death? Look, God, look, if I'm on, if I'm on the path that I'm going, it's going to lead to death. I'm just going to keep spiraling in despair, and I have no hope, right? There's hopelessness in death, right, metaphorically. But man, he's saying, God, can you light up my eyes? It's the opposite of darkness and death. It's light, right? And it's not hopelessness, it's hope. So David turns to God to help him process his loss. So on the screens here, it says, when we allow ourselves to grieve, we allow God to come in and comfort us. That's why grieving is the process, because grieving allows God to come in 
and comfort us. Let's keep reading, though, where it says in verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I love this. He's saying, God, I'm trusting in your steadfast love, and I know that I can rejoice in your salvation. So you, it reminds me of this illustration, the story. Um, maybe you've heard this before, but um, let's imagine a, a man and a woman that are getting married. Okay? And the man, the husband, he is all in. He's like, yes, I'm ready. I'm excited. Let's go. He's like one of those, like the Lord told me, and now we're, that we're here, like I've known from day one. Um, the girl was a little different, <laughs> where she was like, um, I, I know God is saying this is the way forward, but I'm just still a little anxious about it. But man, let's just, I know this is, this is the thing to do, right? So on their, on their wedding day, uh, whenever, you know, they're facing each other, really interestingly, his vow is, I, I love you, and to prove my love for you, I'm, to give, I'm going to give you a rose every single day, no matter what. So they go on their honeymoon, and it's amazing, right? And he just gives her a rose every single day on their honeymoon. And she's thinking, well, yeah, it's because it's the honeymoon, of course, you know. When is this going to fade off, right? So they get back from the honeymoon, and um, they have, like, their first big fight, right, about who's doing the dishes. <laughs> My wife and I have never fought about that. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to keep going here. Uh, <laughs> so they have their first big fight, and he, even after the big fight, the next morning, she's shocked. Why? Because she sees a rose. And the next day, and the next day. And eventually they have kids, right? And she's just, you know, processing kids, and they're processing kids together. And he gives her a rose every single day. And they just go on for decades of the highs and the lows. And she has bad days at work. So she kind of, she doesn't mean to because she really does love him. But, man, it's just hard sometimes to show it externally. So she just sometimes she processes work and kind of um, ex externalizes work, like, on him. And every day, rows, rows, rows for decades, every single day. To where eventually he gets sick and he dies. And she's very sad She's very sad about this. But then she gets a knock at her door. And it's a delivery man. Because what the guy had done, the husband, he had set up that she would still receive a rose every single day for the rest of her life. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit. That landed real <laughs> Real hard. I'm just going to let that sit for real. Here, here's, why, here's why that resonates so well. I, the room, we're, the lot's happening in this room right now. Here's why this resonates. Because that's who God is. No matter what we do, God gives us a rose or whatever you're, the gift is. God just gives us salvation for those of us that put our trust in him. And we don't need to earn it. And we have good days. And we have bad days. And we're saying, how long, oh Lord, are you going to forget my face? And God's saying, here's a rose. I love you. Every single day. And we can rejoice in that, and that's where we put our trust in. And really, we know that that's because God is good to us, because that's who God is. David is trusting in God's goodness and his salvation. And David knows that God's comfort and goodness brings us hope. 
So here's the big idea. Is grief paves the way to hope. Grief paves the way for hope, right? For a lot of us, we lose something, and then we feel hopeless. And here's a part why we feel hopeless, is because we can't fathom having a process tomorrow without this thing that we lost, right? I can't imagine having a face tomorrow without this relationship that I had that I lost. I can't imagine facing tomorrow without the job that I had that I lost. I can't imagine facing tomorrow without this money that I had lost. Insert whatever we, whatever we lost, we're having a process, right? We feel hopeless and we're so fearful of tomorrow because we can't fathom. And here's, here's what happened. This is not necessarily a bad thing necessarily. Um, our hope in part was in this thing that we lost. So we put our hope, and you know, we, we do this all the time, right? I hope I get this job. I hope I get this thing. I hope I get this thing. We, we say this all the time. But we know that we need to grieve the lesser hope in order to fully trust the steadfast, savingful, bountiful hope that only comes in Jesus Christ. So these lesser hopes are our life is going to be a life of grieving. Our lives are going to be a life of loss, right? We're going to continue to be losing things and losing things and losing things and losing things. And it's part of the grieving process. It's not like you get to, you get to 80 years old as this varsity Christian and then you don't grieve anymore. That's not how life works. Life works is that every time we lose something, we need to grieve. But we know as we grieve that God is there comforting us, and we know that we, can, we put our ultimate hope in Jesus Christ, who is steadfast, right, saving and bountiful. So as we're uh, processing kind of this, um, there's actually a movie um, that came out. Um, you may have heard of it. It's called Inside Out. Anybody? Okay. I know this is part, we're in Orlando, Disney crowd. Um, so this movie actually illustrates this incredibly well. Um, there's actually a character called Sadness uh, in the movie. So to set it up, um, so if you, if you haven't seen the movie, I'll do a slight recap. So in the movie, there's this, oh, also this movie came out in 2015, and we're definitely going to show the climax now. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Sta statute of limitations, you had time, right? <laughs> so this girl named Riley is, is 11 years old, and her family moves from um, somewhere to uh, San Francisco. I think it's Wisconsin. Wisco where is it? Michigan. Michigan? Wisconsin? Minnesota. Minnesota, thank you. <laughs> so, this, so Riley, <laughs> Riley moves from Minnesota to San Francisco, and she's 11, and you know, overall, she's been a pretty happy girl. So they, they um, in part of the movie, they start personifying different emotions. So the, the lead emotion is joy, right? So Riley is a pretty joyful person, so joy in the movie, uh, voiced by Amy Poehler, um, kind of leads the way. She's kind of the lead emotion. But there are these other emotions, sadness and fear and disgust and anxiety, right? So then Riley's living her life, trying to like manage that. And um, so whenever she first moves and she starts having to process sadness, um, her parents are actually terrible. <laughs> because mom literally says, hey, look, honey, you just got to put on a happy face for dad. This is all hard for all of us. Oh, terrible parenting. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then dad, then he comes home and, you know, she's like processing stuff and clearly going through stuff. And then he starts getting mad at her because she doesn't, she's 11. <laughs> and she starts acting out. Anyway, I just, that's, anyway. So, um, so here's the, what I want to point out in this clip. Um, there are aspects of Riley's life that she had not grieved. There were things that she lost in, where was it, Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, 
in Texas, they do a lot of Texas history. <laughs> so we don't learn a lot of North stuff. <laughs> so there's aspects of Riley's life that she, so she had not grieved, and things in Riley, um, so there are things that Riley loved that she did not want to lose, right? So, so, so this is a scene where finally sadness breaks through. You'll see the character sadness, she's blue. Finally she breaks through. Uh, to be able to help Riley process this loss in order to bring healing um, to Riley. Let's watch. Oh, it's a long clip, but it's a good one. Riley! Oh, oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Minnesota too. I miss the woods and we took hikes. And the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake, where you learned to skate. Oh, 
Oof. We can do it. It's fine. <laughs> Man, I, I just think it's such a powerful illustration. And thanks, guys, for uh, watching the whole clip. I just think it's such a powerful illustration of, like, literally sadness and really grief moving forward to Joy, who was the character there in the film. Um, see the side-by-side, I thought it was just a, such a powerful illustration and how that unlocked this healing into this new thing um, in, in Riley's life. So we need to walk into the painful process of grief. Walk into the painful process of grief. It's real hard, y'all. It's hard and it's painful. And the best way forward is to walk into the painful process of grief. So there's three things that I want to leave you with um, for how we can walk into the painful process of grief. Number one is this. You need a pillow. You need a pillow. You got to cry it out, y'all. Cry it out. Here, actually, um, David earlier in, in Psalm 6, he actually says this, um, where he says, I, and this is, y'all, this is the Bible. This is David writing in Psalms. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Anybody? Just me? <laughs> Yo, we need a pillow. We need a really, dudes, us t- those of us, for me a long time, just resistant to wanting to like literally cry. Like crying just does something really weird where it just like unlocks like these emotions that we don't know how to process. We can actually just be able to start dealing with them and, and processing them. So if you feel like crying, well, see if it's a safe space, then lean in, right? So really safe pace, your pillow, your bed pillow, right? Just at night, by yourself, go at it. Process, cry all night, be like David. For a lot of us, though, for some, um, I would recommend a couch pillow. Couch pillow at your friend's house, right? Being able to cry with a friend is amazing. When they can just sit with you and cry with you. When we lose things, it's really hard and really painful. So being able to have somebody there with us, to be able to process with us, is, is incredible. Um, I'll say this too, whenever you're, if you're, if you're the friend, maybe you're not grieving, but your friend is grieving, and you're the friend that's helping your friend grieve, um, do not offer any platitude or any silver linings. It's the the worst thing to do, right? Like, hey, hey, I know you're crying right now, but look, it's actually a good thing because, hey, I know this, this loss, but actually, hey, look, no, look, you're, you're not looking at it right. Look, you just got to know that, like, look, this thing's really hard, but man, Man, God had this plan for you. It's true. You don't need to tell somebody that in that moment. No silver linings, no platitudes. Here's what we do. We sit and we cry with our friends as they're crying. You know who did this actually really well? It's Jesus. Jesus did this incredibly well. There's a story, um, you may have heard of it, um, called Lazarus. So Lazarus died and he had two sisters who were really sad. So Jesus kind of heard that he was dying and then, but he just chilled for a second. <laughs> and then he came. And by the time he got there, Lazarus, his friend, had been dead for four days. Now, Jesus, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's in John 11. Jesus, it says Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Here's why Jesus cried. Well, here's why Jesus did not cry. Jesus did not, did not cry because Lazarus was dead. He knew he was about to raise him from the dead. He knew had he been there in the first place, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Here's why Jesus cried. I think this is really cool. Jesus cried because his friends were sad. And whenever we're sad, God wants to come in and comfort us when we're sad, just like Jesus did to his friends. 
And whenever our friends are sad, we need to come in and to be like God, to be like Jesus and comfort our friends when our friends are sad and grieving and lost. So we can sit with our friends on the couch as they cry into their pillow. There you go. Shower works too if, if you want to do that. Number two, your planner. Planner. And by planner, so my, my planner has this. My planner on one side has a journal and on the other side has a calendar. It's called a full focus planner, but a lot of, a lot of have this, um, a journal and a calendar. So what do I mean by that? Journal, I mean, you got to write out your observations. If you're sad, you got to write out sentences that you're sad. As well as, and we teach this in, in residency, residency is our uh, discipleship program. Um, res- the bi- your journaling as well can be great for, for scripture, for prayers, just writing out like just what's going on in your life and just getting it on paper and seeing it is so helpful to get it out of your head to really process. As well as you need a calendar. You need a weekly calendar where you're setting your weekly schedule as well as setting goals for yourself. See, I think a lot of us, whenever we think of grieving, we're really good at crying it out and then we stay there. And we spiral and we spiral. So if you're just crying it out and staying in despair and staying in hopelessness, you're probably doing a lot of pillow and probably not doing a lot of planner. So whenever we're grieving, it's really important to cry it out, yes, and as soon as you're able, not immediately, it's going to take time, not immediately, but as soon as you're able, you got to get that planner out. And you got to start journaling and writing it out, and you got to start setting your calendar, and you got to start setting goals for yourself, and you got to keep moving forward. Right? And number three, you, gotta pl- you need a playlist. Mm. You need a playlist. A lot of playlists you can use. Um, there is a, um, you, um, I, in some seasons of my life, I had just had I, a playlist that I called Feels. And when I was reeling my feels, here comes this playlist, right? Um, as well as uh, listening to, I would highly recommend as well, um, just musical worship is incredible. It's incredible as a way to just seeing this is exactly what David modeled, where he said this um, in Psalm uh, 13, 6. He, he ended with this, right? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Singing is weird and amazing and weird. Some of you hate it, which is understandable. Um, and others just really, really enjoy it. But singing is very interesting because as you're singing praises to God, it's really difficult um, not to remind yourself of God's goodness. There's like this really weird things that happens as you're literally singing out loud, like praises coming out of your mouth. It's difficult to, to get to the like, God, why have you forgotten me? Which is true, which, which David started there. But then he reminded himself of God's truth and just singing praises to God. Just really cool things happens when we sing. So it's actually how we're going to close um, is we're going to is we're gonna sing. Is we're going to sing. I want to end, end with this um, a couple, a couple things as we're closing with them. Um, when I was in my mid-20s, um, I was hanging out um, with a group of people, and um, these people were gym people. And I was not a gym person. <laughs> but in order to, like, hang out with this group of people, I needed to be a gym person. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, here we go. And they're like, yeah, Isaac, be at the gym. Monday, let's go. Monday's International Chess Day. If you work out, you know this. So here I am Monday, working out, you know, chest and core. And then, all right, let's be back Wednesday. Wednesday's arms day. Okay, arms. Then we get to Friday. Okay, Friday is um, uh, shoulders and back. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, And they're like, Saturday's leg day. And I was like, I'm not doing leg day. (laughs) (laughs) But they come back on Monday, and I'm like, cool, what's next? And they're like, 
chest again. I was like, chest again? They're like, yes. And I'm like, but my chest hurts. Like, we just did this a week ago. Like, I'm still in pain from working out. I'm like, yes, Isaac, you got to push through the pain. See, what happens when you work out is your muscles literally tear apart. And then what do they do? Some of us know this. They go back together stronger. So as working out in the gym is a workout for your physical body, grief is a workout for your soul. If you want to grow our souls and build our souls and mold our characters to become more like Jesus, grief is the way that we move it. Grief paves the way to hope. And as I'm talking about hope, I want to end with this. I want to talk about ultimate hope. Because we know, as we mentioned earlier, that on this side, our lives right now is going to be constant loss and loss and loss and loss and more loss. And when we think it's over, more loss. And we're like, man, is this ever going to end? Is there anything better? Is there something later where I don't have to experience loss anymore? Yes. It's not now, but it's later. But here I want to read because I want to paint a picture of the amazing later that comes and where we put our ultimate hope in. It's Revelation 21.3. It's the end of our Bible. It's the end of the story where it says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Isn't that a cool day? You guys ready for a day where there's no more crying, no more mourning, right? No more weeping, no more death, no more pain. That sounds incredible. And we're even, even better um, than that, that's amazing. But even being able to see Jesus face to face. We put our hope in Jesus now, none of us have seen him. You know how cool it would be the day that we actually get to see Jesus face to face? That day is incredible. I'm looking forward to that day. My hope is in that day and all the loss that I'm experiencing now. I know that because ultimately my hope is in that day when I get to see and be with Jesus face to face and I'm not crying anymore and I'm not mourning anymore and I know that day is going to be incredible. And I know that day is not today. And in that, there's loss and there's grieving. But I know, he says this in verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And there's going to be more new that comes late, the ultimate new that comes later in the healing process and the hope that we have now is grieving is going to create new things in this season of your life now as well. You got to let go of some stuff and grieve, not let go. Um, you got to grieve. It's the opposite of let go. You got to lean in. <laughs> lean in and process and grieve and accept the loss because as we accept loss, God's going to do some new things in our lives in the next season. And we're just going to wait patiently in order for that to happen. So we're going to sing as a song of response. Um, and we actually have this question that I want to um, propose to you um, that will respond for a little bit. It says this, what do you need to grieve? So you can look at that list and I'm going to pray over you and then we'll sing. Father, I just pray for my friends here and I pray that we can grieve really well and loss is terrible. And we have pain, and we have mourning. God, but we know that one day you're making all things new, but today's not that day. And while we're waiting, God, we know that we can still put our hope in you and our trust in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.